call me sentimental, but to me, the most joyful moment in sports is the soccer goal. And when that goal happens at the World Cup, well, it's pretty good. I'm Brian Phillips. With the 2022 Men's World Cup approaching, I'm making a podcast called 22 Goals on the Ringer Podcast Network. It's about 22 of the most fire emoji goals in the history of the tournament. We're going to have so much fun. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. After a crazy game this afternoon at Lambeau Field as the Patriots go down to the Packers, unfortunately, 27-24 in overtime. But this game had everything to it. We knew that Mac Jones wasn't going to play entering this thing, even though the Patriots during the week tried to make it sound like, oh, there's a chance that Mac could play. And on Friday, Mac's out there, although he wasn't moving at all when he was throwing the football. So we all know this is a multi-week injury for Mac Jones. So now you've come to grips with the fact that Well, it's going to be Brian Hoyer playing quarterback for the Patriots. Now, unfortunately for Hoyer, they had a nice first drive in that game, but unfortunately for Hoyer, he goes down with the head injury, so he can't play. And that means, hold on, Zappi is going to play. Bailey Zappi is going to play for the Patriots in their fourth game of the season. This guy out of Western Kentucky that didn't take a snap under center last year at Western Kentucky. He's going to be the quarterback for the Patriots. And somehow they're in this game against the Green Bay Packers. Look, I don't want to get into moral victories or anything along those lines because the reality is right now, the Patriots are one and three, which obviously that is not a place that they want to be. I would have loved them to go two and two during the stretch. They had opportunities to beat Miami, opportunities to beat Baltimore. And of course, they definitely had an opportunity to win this game today. But considering what the circumstances were, I was shocked to see how well the Patriots played at points during this game. And you think about what they did with Zappi. I got to say this, and I know this doesn't happen a lot. I got to give Matt Patricia a lot of credit. I felt he did a really good job with Zappi in this game. And it was pretty cool to see like the formula. One of the formulas that we've been preaching all season, they actually used it. It was, okay, pound the football, play action, rinse and repeat. That's what they did over and over again. I mean, you think about the first real successful drive for Zappi in this game. Of course, he had the fumble earlier on in the game. But in that second half, Immediately, play-action pass to Bourne, 16 yards, first down, okay? And then Harris, 5-yard run. Harris, 14-yard run. Harris, 7-yard run. 4-yard run. 
And then you had the play action pass to Parker for a touchdown, which made it 17 to seven. So at that point in the game or in that drive, I should say two play action passes for 41 yards, four Harris rushes for 30 yards. That's 7.5 yards per rush. So that's the formula, right? When you have a guy that's inexperienced, you have to make it easy for him. And I give Patricia credit because that's exactly what he did on that drive. They did it again the following drive. This time you had the huge return from Marcus Jones, which by the way, this is a revelation for the Patriots. They need to create advantages, right? Because We've been through this on multiple occasions. The Patriots aren't this uber-talented team like they used to be during the Brady era when they had the Gronks and the Edelmans of the world. At times, they had the Revises of the world, right? They're not there from a talent perspective. So you need to create advantages in some other areas, right? Because you're not going to win games on talent alone. And Marcus Jones, having a couple of these big returns today, were obviously huge for the Patriots. He has that 38-yard return to the 35, make life easier for Zappi. And then again, pound the football, Stevenson 12 yards, Stevenson 5 yards, and they went back because Jonu Smith, remember in this game, he leaves with an ankle injury. So you know what they did? They went back to that jumbo package where they have the extra offensive lineman out there. And Marcus Cannon, who they just recently elevated to the roster, he's out there in this jumbo package and the Patriots are just pounding the Packers. Stevenson then runs for 17 yards. And then you have the play action to Aguilar, 21 yards, set them up again. Harris, four yards. Harris, four yards. 24-17 after the Harris run for a touchdown. And this is something that the Patriots... They really haven't been digging into this at all this season in terms of the play-action pass game. And I get it, different skill sets, but it was nice to see them sort of simplify things for Zappi. So if you look at Mac on the season, just 10.8% of his dropbacks are play-action. That's 37th in the NFL. If you look at the total number, 12 dropbacks out of play-action, 31st. Today, we saw that on those two back-to-back drives where the Patriots scored touchdowns, three huge gains out of play-action, and it made life easier for Zappi. And Look, there were issues with Zappi in this game, but you'd expect some of them, right? I mean, you look at some of the rookie mistakes, the drive after they scored that touchdown, after a Harris four-yard run, you go back to the play-action pass game and he takes a sack, which loses you nine yards. You just can't do that. You got to get rid of the ball in that particular situation, which basically renders the drive ineffective. His first drive of the game, I'm not really going to criticize the kid, but he throws an incomplete pass to Stevenson where it's off the mark. It could have easily been a first down, but also he didn't get all the help he needed from his teammates. Remember the second drive that he was out there for, Aguilar just drops a first down pass. I mean, you have got to help out the quarterback. All in all, though, you look at this game from Zappi, 10 of 15, 99 yards, one touchdown. He did take three sacks. That would be my one issue with Zappi in this game. Yeah, he's going to miss a couple of throws, but he's 10 of 15. He didn't screw it up, right? I mean, he did fumble the ball at one point, but he was pretty consistent for this team based on what you asked him to do. So you take that and run it with it. And now going forward, I mean, there's no chance you start Hoyer next week, right? Because we all assume that Mac's going to be out multiple weeks. I know the Patriots are going to keep playing coy with this particular thing, but I don't know how you can't go back to him. I like watching him play. I mean, he's a little bit athletic and get out there, throw the ball on the run a little bit. And now with the week of preparation, you can start to work on that play action pass game even more. So I feel like what really helped the Patriots was just the fact that they simplified things. They didn't overcomplicate things for them. They just had to run simple stuff. So they did. And it was very effective. And look, I understand that part of the reason the Patriots were so good running the football is you're playing the Packers, right? Football outsiders, metric DVOA, they had them 32nd. Pro football focus has them ranked 31st in terms of rush defense. It's not a good rush defense, but the Patriots took advantage of that. That's what you're supposed to do. The problem for the Patriots at times is... 
they ran into issues on third down. They were third of 11, or 3-4-11, I should say. That's 27.2%. And you look at what happened. They put themselves in a lot of bad positions. Third and 12, third and 10, third and 10, third and 8, third and 9. So that's the issue the Patriots found themselves in today is... When they have to overcome that type of distance, it's just not going to happen. You cannot do that if you're the Patriots based on the players you have and based on the fact that you're down to your third string quarterback. But hey, really, my biggest takeaway is I kind of like Zappi. I want to see Zappi play more. I'm excited to watch this guy play. All right, now let's get to some of the issues. The rush defense for the Patriots continues to be an issue this season, right? The Packers ran the ball 35 times for a buck 99. That's 5.7 yards per carry. Patriots coming into this game. They were 31st in rush EPA. They were 20th in opponents' yards per attempt. So they had not been good in terms of against the run at all this season. It's been an issue for them. I mean, Lamar's Lamar, but this was traditional running backs, the Aaron Joneses of the world, mainly. I mean, Dylan did some stuff at the end when the team was tired, but Jones is really good. And you think about their first touchdown drive, that's when it really got ugly in terms of they just ran it down the Patriots' throat. It wasn't even like Aaron Rodgers did anything. 10-yard run for Jones, 5-yard run for Jones. Jones bounces it out to the outside for 7, and then he runs for 10 yards, and then he had an end around to make it a 7-3 game to begin things. So this is now a concern for the Patriots going forward because it's not, at this point, it's not really a small sample size because we have four games, right? Which I guess in the old schedule would have been a quarter of the season. they got to be better in terms of stopping the run. But one thing I would say in terms of the defense— Outside of this issue with the run game, I thought they held up really well against Rodgers. And I get it. Rodgers is still getting ready or getting used to his weapons, I should say. But even if you look at those touchdown drives that Rodgers had in the second half, all of them he had to have ridiculous third down completions, right? You think about the one Lazard on a third and 10 for 32 yards. That is perfectly placed down the sideline. There's nothing Jonathan Jones can do about that. That's just one of the greatest quarterbacks we've ever seen in the history of the league, making an unbelievable throw. Now, after that, they'd go on and score a touchdown, make it a 14 to 10 game. But it's a third and 10 and a ridiculous throw from Rodgers. Then you look at the third and six to Cobb. That was a huge play for them as well. And then later on in the game, you'd have one against Bryant. Bryant was horrible in this game, and he was really the victim in terms of some of the big plays the Packers had, where Randall Cobb, who I believe is like 47, is just picking on Miles Bryant. Bryant's got to be better, although I don't have high expectations for the player whatsoever. But the reason I point this out about Rodgers is it did feel like Rodgers had to have some miraculous throws, not for him, but for like a normal quarterback. A normal quarterback doesn't make the throws Rodgers was making today. And I know Rodgers did not play well. You think about what the Patriots did to him in the first half. He was 4 of 11 for 44 yards. He had the pick, of course, which is a great play, by the way. Somebody else we should mention. Jack Jones is really good in this game. He caused the fumble, and he recovered the fumble with a little bit of help from Adrian Phillips, of course. But then he had that interception where he jumped the route, the pick six at the end of the half, which was just outstanding. So he played really well. Rodgers, that first half, 11.2 passer rating. Okay, so the Patriots are really effective. It did feel like, and I saw Mike Giardi tweet this out, it did kind of feel like, remember when... The Patriots played the Chiefs in the 2018 AFC Championship game where they just like completely shut down Mahomes in the second half and then he figured some things out. That's what it kind of felt like with Rodgers and LaFleur in the second half. Not to the extent that Mahomes did, but they started to figure out how to expose the Patriots a little bit in the running game. And of course, then you had a situation where Rodgers was just making some stupid throws at times. Even though he didn't play particularly great in this game, he just made throws when they needed him to. Okay, another thing that jumps out to me about this. So I hope that Mac Jones, and I know he's watching the game, but I hope he learns from this game, right? Because one of the issues you've seen with Mac Jones this season is he's just turning the ball over like crazy. Five interceptions on the season. And I get that what they're asking Zappi to do today 
is not what they're asking Mac Jones to do. They're asking Mac to throw 50-50 balls, or in the words of Devontae Parker, 80-20 balls. I don't know if I completely buy that, but you get the point. They're asking Mac to throw into tight windows, throw it up in the air more, take more chances. So I understand all that, but think about this today. The Patriots were outgained 443 to 271, so 172 yards. Just the one turnover, though. The Packers had two. Last week, the Patriots were outgained, or I should say they outgained the Ravens by 53 yards, but they lost the turnover battle. So this is the thing that Mac is going to learn from is just don't screw it up. Okay, don't continue to turn the football over because the Patriots are not good enough to overcome this. So the fact that their defense gave Rodgers some issues and the fact that they didn't turn the ball over on the other side of things, it kept you in the football game. So that's the thing that the Patriots have got to get through to Mac Jones because Mac cannot be one of these quarterbacks that is throwing the ball away like crazy. I mean, think about Bill this week. Bill was applauding Aaron Rodgers. Like when they were talking to Bill about Aaron Rodgers, he said he doesn't turn the football over. And when you think about Aaron Rodgers, that's the thing that Bill's pointing out. He doesn't turn the football over. That's what the Patriots need from Mac Jones. Sit back and learn from this performance. Not to say that Zappi's a better player than Mac. I'm not going crazy. I'm just saying don't turn the football over and you see what the results are, right? The Patriots entering today, those eight giveaways, 31st at the NFL. They were turning the football over on 25.8% of their drives. That's 32nd at the NFL. There's only 32 teams. So the Patriots, they can't shoot themselves in the foot with Mac Jones at quarterback. And I just hope today is a lesson, not just for Mac, but for everybody. Like, Maybe what they got to do is scale this back a little bit, right, in terms of the offense, in terms of the risk-taking, if you will, because what worked today, pound the football, play action, don't throw into all these tight windows like we've seen all season long from Mac Jones. So it's not just about Mac, right? I'm not trying to make this all about Mac. It's about Matt Patricia. It's about the game planning in general. We're maybe going forward. You dial it back a little bit on some of those things. So you're not putting the ball in harm's way all the time because what we've seen when you do that, you're not able to overcome it and win games. All right. So here's the silver lining in all this is the Patriots sit at one and three. The schedule, you should be able to get really fat. And we don't know the status of Mac, whatever the case may be, but we do know this. The Lions, did you watch them today? Okay, that team entering today was giving up 31 points per game. That's who the Patriots have coming up. They gave up almost 50 to the Seahawks, who can't score, period. Okay, so that team's on your schedule. The Browns are on your schedule coming up, and we all know no Deshaun Watson. That's a very talented football team, but... Miles Garrett, unfortunately, got in a car accident. He's really banged up right now, and they lost to Atlanta. Okay, then you have the Bears with Justin Fields. That offense is atrocious. And by the way, just a side note, because I was watching, of course, the Patriots game by itself, but prior to that, I'm watching the Red Zone for the majority of the game. I don't know what it is about, and I have the DirecTV one. I don't know what it is about the DirecTV Red Zone where they continually were showing the Giants and the Bears. Nobody gives a shit about that game. I mean, that game was atrocious, and they kept going back to that game. But anyway, sorry, slight tangent there. When you look at this Bears team with Justin Fields entering today, he was averaging less than 99 passing yards per game, okay? They scored 12 points today against the Giants, and he threw for a buck 63, which is like should throw a parade in Chicago based on the offensive output. So those are three winnable games, okay? Even if you don't have Mac Jones, right? Then you look at the Jets, and I know the Jets won today against a Pittsburgh team that we know sucks. Their offense is a joke. They benched their quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky, but the Jets came into today, and I know they have Zach Wilson back, but he was not particularly great last year. I wasn't like overly impressed with him today. Yeah, great. He's better than Joe Flacco. A lot of people are. 28th in EPA per play on offense, 29th in defense. The Jets are a bad team. Then you have the Colts. The Colts are not a good football team. I I thought that they were going to be at least decent with Matt Ryan. That's not a good team. Then you have the bye week, and then you have the Jets. So as bad as it looks right now, 
You're one in three right now, okay? I feel, and I know I was really down last week of the Patriots, I feel a lot better about where they're at based on the way that they played today. And based on one of the things we did see today from Bill is this has been such a game plan oriented team, right? Where they would morph from week to week, especially in the Brady era. Like we'd see games once at all. I remember the Colts back in the day where it's like, okay, the Colts have no rush defense. So we're going to take a guy like Jonas Gray and just run it down your throat. We saw that today from the Patriots in terms of, okay, let's just run it down their throat. And then secondarily, what they did to Aaron Rodgers, they just didn't blitz. And this is, we chatted with Andrew Callahan about this last week. Now, when they did blitz, they got there, right? I mean, you think about Adrian Phillips just tossing Aaron Jones. That guy's an absolute beast. But nonetheless, they came up with a good game plan for a quarterback in Aaron Rodgers that clearly doesn't trust his receivers right now. And they were really successful doing that, even though Rodgers had a couple of big time plays. But I feel a lot better about where the Patriots are at based on where the schedule is. Now, if we looked at the second half of the season or at the end of the season, and that's when you had this situation where you're way under 500, I'd be a lot more concerned. But I believe the Patriots can get fat coming up here on the schedule. All right, a lot more to get into. We'll recap the game next with James White. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now, three-time Super Bowl champ, it is James White. James, how are you, man? Doing well. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing well, man. I mean, that was an absolutely insane game today at Lambeau <laughs> Field. I, I, I got to be honest, James. I did not have high expectations for the Patriots going into this game with Hoyer, and then they're down to their <laughs> third-string quarterback in <laughs> Bailey Zappi. I mean, that was crazy. Yeah, Zapp versus Aaron Rodgers going down to the wire. But I thought you know everybody tried to play as best as they could. You know, with the situations that happened, I thought if Hoyer was able to finish out the game, I feel like they probably would have had a better chance to win because I know the the play calling like leaned a little bit more towards the running game once Zappy got in there and played. But I thought he he handled himself well. He protected the football, didn't try and do too much. Just didn't make enough, you know, plays towards the end of the game to win it. Yeah, what were were the biggest things, James, that you saw today in terms of Zappi where he said, okay, yeah, he kind of does look like a rookie right now? (laughs) Just holding on to the ball a lot. I mean, you're kind of looking for the the perfect throw in all reality. Sometimes you're going to have to throw guys open or just got to get a better pre-snap read. I know a couple of times we had Devontae one-on-one, you know, on the backside. Sometimes you got a guy like that who can win or even make a contested catch. Sometimes you just got to go to him even when, you know, he's – He's covered a little bit. Just, just give him an opportunity. But I think holding on to the ball a lot, I think that was you know his biggest issue. But it's his first time playing a major NFL football. He'll, he's a good football player. He'll, he'll grow and learn from it. And if he has to play from here on out, I think he'll improve. Yeah, James, one of the things that stuck out to me is with Hoyer going down, it felt like they really, as you mentioned, like they simplified things. And it did feel like something that I've been talking about a little bit with Mac is they got into that play action pass game because it felt like Stevenson was running the ball really well. Mm-hmm. Harris was running the ball really well. And it did feel like the big chunks that they got in the passing game were all play action passes. I think that's going to be their bread and butter. You got two really good running backs who can, you know, tote it whenever need be, getting four or five, six yards a pop. And then, when, you know, when the defense are feeling the effects from them, it opens up that play action, give that hard run fake. Those linebackers are going to step up and it creates those big windows that you don't necessarily get when you just drop back and throw it. So I think that's something that they'll probably rely on a little bit more, especially if, you know, Mac's not playing for a few weeks or whatever it may be. If Zappy's playing, if Hoyer's playing, I think that's going to be their bread and butter. Just rely on that running game, get the play action, and just take some shots down the field as well. 
All right. So Brian Hoyer, of course, we know has been in this league for a long time. I hope he's all right, of course, dealing with the head injury. And I'm sure the NFL is going to play it safe on those side of things yeah. going forward after what happened last week to Tua. So if the assumption is or let's go with the assumption that Hoyer is good to go next week, Max not good to go next week. Do you think they'll go back to Hoyer? Or do you think that Zappi has a chance to start even if Hoyer's healthy? That's a that's an interesting question. <laughs> I thought Hoyer did a good job. I mean, until he, until he got hurt, so I think they'll go back to Hoyer's the veteran presence, and he'll probably manage the game a little bit, a little bit better. Um, like I said, I feel like Zap was really conservative, which which is good because as a rookie, you don't want to <laughs> go out there and mess the game up necessarily. So, but if they do go with Zap, I think he'll do a good enough job and handle himself. I feel like he'll get more aggressive the more. He's out there and, and trust the guys that he has. They have some good weapons and you give them an opportunity to make plays. They can do it. And I think they still need to get those tight ends involved a lot more. They're still not really involved in them at all. Yeah, James, I got to tell you, man, I'm team zappy now. I want to see him back out there. I want to see <laughs> yeah, him. Get- I mean, I'm sure I'm sure everybody is. I mean, I was I was excited to see him go out there and play, get that opportunity on a big stage. He, you know, he showed a lot of flashes during the preseason, throwing the ball around. And like I said, it's, it's different once the you know, those real things, playing real defenses that are scheming you up. And, you know, next week, if he plays next week, teams are going to have, have him on film and try to scheme up a little bit, see the things that, you know, he struggled with. So but I think he's a good football player. He's knowledgeable. He takes the coaching. And like I said, if, if he's out there, I'm confident in him playing as well. Yeah, and the Lions are coming up. So anybody can probably put up 35, 40 <laughs> points against the Lions. So yeah, I don't think how, there how is about a... that game. How about that <laughs> oh. game between them and the Seahawks? Nobody would have thought that would have been that high scoring, right? Now. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know, like, people love Dan Campbell. Like, he inspires people and all that. But, I mean, that defense is atrocious. So I would like to see Zappy get an opportunity against them because, hey, hey if you're going to have a big day, that's probably going to be the team that you're going to do it against. So you mentioned the tight ends. One thing I noticed today, of course, we saw, unfortunately, Jonu Smith leaves with the ankle injury. But, James, they go back to, like, something you guys used to do, that jumbo package. Marcus Cannon was activated, yeah. and it felt like they had a lot of success with that, with the extra <laughs> offensive lineman. No, it's, it's always worked for us ever since, I'm pretty sure, like, my rookie year when they, I don't know, they may have been doing it before me, but when Marcus Cannon, I think it was Cam Fleming who did it my rookie year. He was in the same class as me, but it's it's always worked. Uh, get the heavier guy on the end of the line of scrimmage and run run right at guys. You got him, Isaiah Wynn, run right behind them, and it's creates a lot of yardage in the running game. And then when you're getting those yards, you can run play action out of that as well. So I think that's something that they will use going forward. Cannon's a really good run blocker. I think he's a great addition to that offensive line, you know, especially if somebody ends up going down, he can fill in at pretty much every position aside from center. So I think they'll, they'll use that a lot as well. Yeah, and it did feel like sort of the team builds off that momentum, right? When you're just like running it down the Packers throat, it did feel like that kind of, with the rookie quarterback in there and Zappy, it did mm-hmm. kind of feel like that galvanized everybody. Like there was a little bit more swagger with the team after they put in that jumbo package. Most definitely. Um, and it helps a rookie quarterback to have a good running game because if you're averaging one, two yards a pop and he's in second and long, third and long, that's a tough situation that you don't want a young quarterback being, in, especially in a position where he wasn't necessarily penciled in to, to play that much in the game. So it's a lot a lot of weight on his shoulders, but I think everybody did a great job. The defense, you know, made some plays, didn't make enough at the end, but I think they made enough plays and able to win the football game. The offense just kind of lulled out a little bit in that fourth quarter. On the scale of one to ten, how mad was Bill there when he, he th- when they didn't reset the play clock? Like, is uh, that like is that a ten or is that a nine? That <laughs> looked like a ten to me. He, he was pretty hot, and I, I mean, I would be hot as well because I mean, the play clock should be running. It should be going into their fourth down play or whatever it was. They 
they got to do a better job of that. I know Green Bay was trying to figure out the whole challenge or whatever, but the play clock definitely should have been running and possibly got delayed game something. Yeah, there's already memes on Twitter, James, where it's like Tom throwing the surface and Bill throwing the headphones <laughs> next to yeah, each other. It's pretty funny. It's pretty, pretty. But hot. I just say, like he should be mad at that. And, and like the fit, the fit, the head official during this game kept like messing up the calls. Like when he was announcing him to the crowd, it's like what's he called holding on ninety seven on yeah, offense at yeah, one point. Like, like, I think he means the defense. defense. I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Hey, so we talked about Zappi. I want to get into some of these other rookies today. So Marcus Jones, man, he made a huge difference in the return game. Did you remember seeing him at training camp? Like, the, does his speed just, like, jump out at you? No, he's a good football player. I think they might need to incorporate him a little bit on defense, especially after the plays. You know, he's made on special teams. He's a he's a prolific punt returner at Houston, and he did a great job today giving, you know, the offense some short fields. They didn't always capitalize on it, but he, he did a great job of doing it. Jack Jones as well. I said last week that he that he can be a special football player. And, you know, ever since week one, he, when he jumped in in the middle of the game, whatever it was, made some plays, missed the interception versus Tyreek Hill. But he's a talented kid. If he keeps working, he can be an impact player on that defense for sure. But his rookies, I mean, nobody may have necessarily thought some of these guys have been plugged in right away like this. But that's why you got to do a good job drafting because when those guys do come in the game, you want to be prepared and ready to go. I think a lot of these guys are doing that. Yeah, and the Jack Jones thing, too, like the interception was unbelievable where he yeah. just like jumps that route. And you're talking about against Aaron Rodgers. And then yeah. earlier in the game, he had that sick play, too, where he took it away from Dobbs the and then out. he recovered his own fumble. <laughs> yeah, it's impressive. He he came ready to play. Aaron Rodgers is the guy who doesn't throw you know many interceptions, if any at all, for him to make that play before halftime. But definitely was a momentum shifter for sure because that kind of got Aaron Rodgers off balance a little bit. I know towards the end of the game, he started to pick it up and – you know, make some throws, but that definitely rattled him a little bit. A couple of other guys that jumped out to me. So when Adrian Phillips just tossed Aaron Jones to get to Rodgers, like I jumped out of my seat. I mean, that guy is a freak, man. That was unbelievable. And then Judon. Judon had a couple of big plays in this game as well where he could not be contained. Yeah, a defensive line. They've been getting a lot of pressure all year long. I think they're going to be huge, especially with the secondary. Some younger guys playing. Get that pass rush. Don't let them cover for as long. I know my guy John Jones playing outside, something he's not necessarily used to doing. But he's been doing a good job holding holding his own. Um, like I said, AP, he's one of my favorite players on the defense. He's versatile. He can play in the middle of the field. Line up every linebacker. He can cover man-to-man. So he's a guy they move around a lot, and he can blitz, and he can, he can beat a running back as well. So he's a big part of that defense. All right, circling back to the offense because you had mentioned the tight ends. I got into the, I got sidetracked by the jumbo package because <laughs> I'm, I was, I was so pumped up seeing the jumbo package back and then having success. But how about Hunter Henry James? Because last year it felt like, all right, he was almost like a safety blanket to Mac. It felt like every catch he had was either a touchdown or a first down. So what do you think's happened to him this year where he really hasn't been that involved in the offense? It may just be the direction they're going with the play calling. New offensive coordinator does different ways they want to exploit defenses and seems like they're leaning a little bit more on the receivers and a little bit less of the tight ends. But I think you got to use those guys. I know they're running some personnel groups with three tight ends on the field, but it's mostly run plays when those guys are in there like that. So maybe throwing it out of those you know personnel groups because there's probably going to be in base defense where you have three tight ends on the field. So getting those mismatches against linebackers, letting those guys go to work because – Especially if you have, you know, Hoy and Zappy playing, you can use that because you're going to stack the box. You know, you're going to run the football and you got three talented receivers, even little Jordan Humphrey. He's a talented receiver as well. He can create a mismatch. So maybe throwing out of those personnel groups. I know they used to do that in the past as the Patriots. So I think 
they got to do a better job of doing that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I just like to see some production from the tight end position. Unfortunately, they haven't gotten that so far this season. Uh, the other thing, too, is if that play that Schooler makes, to me, that doesn't look like a horse collar whatsoever. And James, that's a huge thing. I mean, especially yeah. in a game like this where the offenses yeah. weren't uber successful for the majority of the game. I mean, yeah. a 15-yard penalty like that, that, yeah. that can't happen. No, it definitely can't. That was a great play by Schooler. I mean, he's a guy who jumped out, you know, as soon as you know he was able to participate in training camp. Cause I don't think he did OTAs. I'm pretty sure he was banged up, but you know, he's a guy who knew he's gonna have to make the team by special teams. And he put the work in, learned got learned from guys like Cody Davis and Slater and things of that nature. And he's been making plays every week. I thought that was a, a great play. It definitely wasn't a horse collar. He had him, I think, under his nameplate. So it's a great tackle by him. I mean, he's gonna be a difference maker. He could be a you know, one of those future special team players, core special teams players for the Patriots if he keeps it up. Yeah, how does Bill always find these guys? Because it's like, all right, Slater may be like the <laughs> best gunner in the history of the league. Edelman started out on special teams, like returning punts. Ebner was really good. Like, it just seems like he has a ability to find these guys all the time. Yeah, they do a great job of finding those undrafted free agent guys and finding ways to plug them in. Most of the guys usually start on special teams. They make their name there. And then somehow they eventually make their way on defense, offense, whatever it is, and they kind of earn their keep. But they definitely have an eye for talent, especially for, you know, the talent that most people don't think is going to, you know, last in the NFL. All right. So take me through this week, right? Because you look at it, this team is one and three right now. But I do feel like they played much better today than would have been expected. And another thing I was mentioning, James, is if you look at the schedule, it really softens up, right? You get the Lions coming up. The Browns are a good team, but Garrett's banged up. And of course, they don't have Watson. Then you look at the Colts are in there. You got the Jets in there twice and the Bears who just, they're like allergic to the forward pass. So mm -hmm. that's not a very explosive offense. So you feel like you're in a pretty good spot. And I know like you weren't in a lot of positions like this where your team is, you yeah. know, two games under 500. But what do you think it's like for Bill this week where, of course, guys are going to be down, but how do they keep them in good spirits there? I mean, they definitely keep them in good spirits. I think they played good football today. Obviously, they weren't able to pull it out. And even last week, they played good football, just didn't make those plays when they need to play them, need to make them towards the end of the football game. And I think they, if they find a way to make those critical plays in the red zone on third down towards the end of the game, I think they'll be in a better spot. Obviously, the schedule softens up as they go on, but I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean anything because Anybody can win on any given day um, in the NFL. No matter how sorry we think a team is, some guys are going to come out there and roll it out there versus the Patriots and try and, you know, make a name for themselves and turn their season around as well. So they've got to find a way to make these, you know, eliminate the, the sacks on offense, the penalties. I think that's really killing them, playing behind the chains and things of that nature. But they're in a good position. It's got to find a way to make the crucial plays in games in order to win. Yeah, and then the one thing just on defense is the one issue they've had is stopping the run. Obviously, yeah. Dylan's a really good back, and Jones is an absolute stud. And last week it was against, you know, Lamar Jackson, who's one mm -hmm. of a kind in the NFL. But are you concerned at all with the results in terms of the rush defense so far this year? Yeah, definitely. Definitely have to tighten that up because um, running game opens up everything. You can't stop the run, then opens up the pass. So they've been playing some good backs, and they played a special play on Lamar Jackson last week. But they got to do a better job of shutting that down because then you can make a team one-dimensional when you shut the running game down. If you're, they're getting, you know, Aaron had like over 100 yards rushing. You can't have that if you want to be a successful football team. You want to have guys around, you know, 50, 40 yards, something of that nature. So definitely have to tighten that up. We've always been a, a pretty stout you know, run defense. There's some good guys up front. I know Lawrence guy wasn't in there. He's really good against the run. So maybe when he gets back in there, it'll it'll tighten it up a little bit. Yeah, that's a good point. Not having guy obviously hurt them. And 
The other uh, thing that I was interested in is it felt like this is a very similar game plan that Bill had defensively to the one, and I was talking about this last week, is the one that he had against Pat Mahomes a couple of years ago, the one he had against Tom last year where he didn't really blitz a lot and he just yeah. dropped a lot of guys in coverage. Is that sort of how Bill attacks these like elite quarterbacks? Yeah, you don't you don't necessarily want to bring the house first guys like that because they know where their good matchup is, and if a guy – able to win that one-on-one situation and there's nobody back there it's going to create a huge play so you can throw a blitz in here and there but just try and keep them off balance i think we have i keep saying we like i'm playing the patriots have good enough dbs to hold up in coverage when they're rushing four and you have an extra guy in coverage i think that helps and we got Devin, you know in the middle of the field who won't give up a big play so they do a great job of scheming things up against you know one of the better quarterbacks in the league against Aaron Rodgers. He didn't have a big day. He, Like I said, he was frustrated early in the game because receivers couldn't really get open. And when they were open, he you know, had some errant throws, of, you know, unlike himself. But Bill always does a great job of scheming up, you know, the best quarterbacks in the game. All right, that is James White. James, we'll talk again next week. Hopefully it's after a Patriots win. Yeah, hopefully so. All right, coming up next, we'll get to some of your calls and get to the news with the Celtics from over the weekend. All right, great stuff there from James White. And remember, he'll be joining us after each and every Patriots game this season to recap whether they win, whether they lose. A little bit of optimism this week after Zappi looked pretty good. And the Patriots, of course, they were competitive in this game against Green Bay. And I got to be honest, you heard me last week. I did not think that would be the case. All right, we got time for a call. The number is 617-396-7172, 617-396-7172. Hey, Brian, this is David from Harrisburg, Kentucky. Um, watching the Patriots today obviously fell short to the Packers. Frustrating, but um, encouraging considering we're, we're you know working with a third string quarterback. I feel like our defense really did play well. Um, here's my question: Why would the Patriots use this uh, run heavy, play action based um, offense and see success with Bailey Zapp, and then coming back in uh, a few weeks or whenever Matt Jones returns, not go with this? same offense. Um, I feel like it opened up shots like the one that Bailey Zapp took to Nelson Aguilar specifically that uh, set up a, a red zone trip. Um, wh- why would they not continue to do what's working with a what we believe to be better quarterback? Thanks. Love the show. Bye. Yeah, it's a good point. I do think there is a little more to it in terms of just the fact who your opponent is, right? Because the Packers, by football outsiders metric, as we mentioned earlier, they're the worst rush defense in the NFL. So you're taking advantage of that. So that's first and foremost. But to your overwhelming point and the broader point, I'm with you. I've been saying that all offseason into this season. I felt like the Patriots didn't dig into play action enough with Mac last year, and he's really good at a play action, right? Last year, he completed north of 71% of his passes. So I don't know why the Patriots don't incorporate a little bit more of that, because I think what the Patriots have to realize is two of their best three offensive weapons are their running backs, Stevenson and Damian Harris. And obviously they know that. I mean, I'm, I'm slightly hyperbolic here, but they have to continue to just pound the football play action pass game. That's where I think the success is going to come for the Patriots. Because even if you look at that game against Baltimore a week ago Sunday, when you look at the success they had, yeah, you had some 50-50 balls, the Parker one, Mac put up some good numbers in terms of the raw numbers, but it's not really a successful offense, right? I mean, you're turning the ball over a lot. And this one, to me, it takes out some of those mistakes. And I would just like Mac to get away from taking so many chances. And I don't completely blame Mac. I think a lot of that is this is sort of what the Patriots wanted to do. They said they wanted to do some of the stuff he did at Bama. So that's why he's pushing the ball down 
the field more, but I think they have to have more layups in the offense and play action, especially with these running backs you have. It should set you up for success. And remember, there has been so many studies done. You don't even need to have a good running game to have a good play action pass game. And the Patriots actually do. Stevenson and Harris are absolute studs. So I do wish they would dig into that more. All right. Who's next? Hey, Brian. This is Ollie calling in from Road Trip from Mississippi. Man, that was a pretty tough game to listen to on the radio while I was driving. Right there for us. Packers, yes, better team. You had the ball over the uh, in the Packers' territory. Could have won it. I was getting really excited there at the end, but we had it. Uh, I'll leave it to other callers to complain about the Matt Patricia special, the two back-to-back runs right up the middle, given our miraculous uh, actually having the ball at the end of the game. But I wanted to focus on that third down, fourth down call to just pass and then punt. Obviously, pass there because you're going to punt if you don't pick it up. Just totally not understanding where we're at in the game, the team we're playing against. I think Zolak was saying on the radio, like, we're playing with house money. No one expects you to be there. Well, what do you do with house money? You roll the dice. You don't just let it bleed away play after play. I just can't believe we didn't push our chips into the middle there and actually go for it on fourth down. It's hard to believe we're going to hold them to another three and out, then get the ball back and be closer than in Packers territory and have a better shot than that. I just don't understand that managing not to lose the game against a team that's better than you while you're on the road. Stop, Brian. Love the show. All right. Thanks, Ollie. Yeah, it's an interesting point because if, let's say, the hypothetical is that Mac Jones is playing in this game and it's not actually Zappy, or even if it's Brian Hoyer, is that a place where the Patriots actually do push their chips in and go for it there? The one thing I will say in defense of Bill there is your defense was playing relatively well in this game. Now, I know that Aaron Rodgers had some success in this game, so I understand like he doesn't want to put the game in Bailey Zappi's hands, but at some point, based on how many snaps your defense is out there for, especially in the second half where the Patriots dominated time of possession in the first half, it was the opposite in the second half as that sort of went over to the Packers. I wouldn't be opposed to that either. In fact, I would have loved to see them go for it there because it does really feel like in that particular situation where it's a third and five, you have a better chance at winning the game by converting that than punting, right? Is Are you really going to stop Aaron Rodgers a second time in overtime? So I understand the decision that Bill made, but I would have gone the other direction. I'm with you. All right, who's next? Hey, Brian. Jesse from Chicago here, formerly of Somerville. Um, a couple of my friends have been texting me with the ludicrous idea that losing is good and we're just tanking. I fully disagree and don't believe there is tanking in football. Uh, can you talk me through your opinion on this? Also, if we were happen to get a top five pick in the draft, which non-quarterback would you select? Thanks, Brian. Love the show. Well, I mean, if I had my pick, I would take Anderson, the pass rusher from Alabama, if I had my pick to answer your second question. But uh, the other portion of the equation is, Bill's never going to tank. He won seven games with Cam Newton. Now, it may be advantageous if you just like, if say hypothetically you lose to the Lions, it may be advantageous to tank. And then if you're not sold on Mac Jones, you go back into the top five and get one of these elite quarterbacks. But Bill's not going to tank. And based on where the schedule's at right now, I do think the Patriots have a chance to sort of wake up here and make some hay with playing teams like the Lions, the Jets, etc. But if Bill Belichick is going to go into this and try to lose games, it's it's not in his DNA. I mean, Cam Newton could barely throw the ball 20 yards in the air. And I'm not telling you it's like awfully impressive they won seven games, but they did. They won seven games with Cam Newton at quarterback. They're going to find a way now to at least be competitive going forward. All right, I did want to get to some Celtic stuff because we got some news over the weekend, at least another wrinkle to this Ime Adoka story. So this was from Adrian Wojnarowski. 
He wrote that the independent law firm probe into Boston Celtics coach Ime Adoka found that he used crude language in his dialogue with a female subordinate prior to the start of an improper workplace relationship with the woman, an element that significantly factored into the severity of his one-year suspension. He goes on to say, Those investigative findings, which described verbiage on Yudoka's part that was deemed especially concerning coming from a workplace superior, that contributed to what likely is a difficult pathway back to his reinstatement as the Celtics head coach in 2023. He goes on to say, The power dynamic associated with the superior's improper relationship with a staff member was the primary finding in the policy violation cited in the law firm's report. Okay. So what you get from that and what's worth noting there is they don't mention or in Woj's article, he doesn't mention harassment, right? But it's also worth mentioning that under Massachusetts employment laws, if the female subordinate deemed the dialogue either unwelcome or unsafe, that could be considered workplace harassment, even if she or Yudoka ultimately engaged in a consensual relationship after that. So that is worth noting. So The Celtics have to be very careful with this whole situation. I believe it behooves Yudoka to get something done with the Celtics sooner rather than later, right? If he ever wants to coach again in the NBA. But the Celtics have to be really careful with this from a legal perspective. That's why we're not getting a lot of the information. That's why the players have not been given a lot of the information. But what I do believe now is what I've believed from day one when the original report came out. This is sort of, I don't want to say delay tactic because that's not the right terminology for it, but the Celtics are waiting to fire him based on the legal process. That's my hunch in terms of everything that's sort of come out over the past, you know, week and a half or so now, and this would be more evidence of this. So this could have stemmed to a situation which, like I said, it doesn't say it in the article, but this could stem to a situation where it was workplace harassment rather for Ime Adoka. So definitely we'll keep you updated on this story as it goes on. I do feel like now, the leaks that come out, they hurt Ime even more. Originally, I felt like Ime's team put that leak out to Woj to just say that he was getting, that there was a violation, whatever. I did feel like most of the reaction, the national reaction to it was pro-Ime because it felt like, oh, that's a ridiculous length of a suspension. But now everything that sort of trickles out, it looks bad on Ime's behalf. So I do feel like in the interest of him and his camp, they want to get something done sooner rather than later. One other thing that happened over the weekend, and this is more of a basketball thing than it is a Ime Adoka thing. The Celtics signed Blake Griffin. If this was like 2015, the Celtics front court with Al Horford and Blake would be phenomenal. But we're talking about the 2022-2023 version of Blake Griffin. So I don't have high expectations for Blake whatsoever. I'm not going to overreact to the fact that they signed a depth big man, if you will. But Blake last year, he looked ancient. Remember, Blake in that series against the Celtics, they just picked on him. Remember, anytime he was on the court, Jalen Brown just went at him. He gave up 21 points as the primary defender in 26 minutes. So he was an absolute sieve defensively. If you look at him on the Nets last season, when he was on the court, the Nets had a 110-62 offensive rating, 114-79 defensive rating. So minus 4.7 net rating. Only six teams had a net rating worse than 4.17. And look, I get it that Blake Griffin was playing in a bad situation with the Brooklyn Nets. But what jumps out to me more so than anything else was just seeing him on the court against the Celtics. The guy, it looked like he was stuck in mud. He could barely move horizontally, if you will, laterally, if you will. 
I guess what they're hoping for is, okay, maybe we can get some playmaking from him because, I mean, per 36 minutes, he did average 3.9 assists. He's always been a really good playmaker. The problem is, like, you'd hope from one of these bigs that they can shoot, right? I think that's part of the reason the Celtics, like Cornette, who's obviously banged up right now with the ankle sprain. But Griffin last year on wide open threes, closest defender, at least six feet away. He was just 22 of 91, which is 24.2%. So he wasn't really good when it comes to that. He was in the 28th percentile as the role man. So maybe you say, okay, maybe you catch lightning in the bottle and you get Blake Griffin to shoot similar to the way he did when he went over to Brooklyn two seasons ago, where he actually did shoot 45% on open threes after he went over there. But for the majority of the season, he was not a good shooter. He's never been a great shooter. It's kind of been robotic. Now, one thing is he is tied for the most charges in the league last year at 26, and obviously he didn't play major minutes. So I'm sure they like that. But from my perspective, I would just like to see more Grant at the five minutes, right? He only played 3% of his minutes at center last season. When you don't have a guy like Rob Williams available, I would like to see the Celtics get into that more. So your bigs were essentially Rob, who is going to miss a good chunk of time, eight to 12 weeks before he resumes basketball activities, not before he plays, Al Horford and, of course, Luke Cornett. So... They were probably going to have to make a move. People thought that they would make a move even before the Rob injury because Cornette's only played 85 minutes in 12 games last year, right? And for his career, like, I get the idea of him being a stretch big, but he's 144 of 444 from three. That's what, 32.4%. So Joe Mazzula actually mentioned at Media Day that Cornette could even be a starter alongside Horford. I want no part of that whatsoever. Why? Why force it? He talked about the fact that that was their identity. Well, the identity last year with the two bigs was Robert Williams, who was a versatile big man who can go all over the place, right? When the defense really took off is when they took Rob off the traditional big, had him cover sort of the non-shooter, the guy that the other team puts in the corner, and he would just muck everything up. So I just don't feel like, obviously, Cornette can't play that role. You don't want Al playing that role. So why wouldn't you just dig into, and look, in the first game of, the preseason, they started Derek White because obviously the Charlotte Hornets are a smaller team where they start Terry Rozier and Ball and Kelly Oubre. That's their one, two, three, if you will. So I understand that maybe it will be one of these things where it's a game to game thing. You don't have a set starting five outside of your top four guys in Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Al Horford and Jason Tatum. I wouldn't be opposed to that whatsoever. I don't think that if you're going to make your defense worse just to start the two bigs, what's the point? The point of the two bigs was your defense was really good. This year, that wouldn't be the case until Rob gets back. If Blake works, great. But I, I just think that this is something I would have much rather have another guy at the wing line. I think they need more depth with, behind Tatum and Brown just in terms of defending wings. Now, Brogdon and Smart can play up defensively, but I felt like that was the bigger need to begin with. But I guess they're hoping for two years ago, Blake. I don't see that happening whatsoever, right? I mean, <laughs> I just remember the guy that we saw last year in the postseason, and that was that was really, really ugly. That was ugly. And the one other guy that jumped out to me is, we'll see if Vonley makes this team, because Vonley was pretty good in the first preseason game. If you're talking about the guy that may be able to be a stretch big, and look, Vonley has not had a good career so far in the NBA, but if you're looking at a guy that maybe could be a stretch big, I feel like Vonley would be more likely to be that guy than Blake Griffin. All right, we'll be back with you on Tuesday. And as always, make sure to get your voicemails in 617-396-7172, 617-396-7172. Enjoy the ones we got today after the Patriots game. So make sure to keep those ones coming. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Cerruti for producing this podcast. And we'll chat in a couple of days. 